In a time of uncertainty, in a time of world turmoil, in the Midlands of the United Kingdom, three men, all middle-aged, all slightly overweight, decided that things had to change. People needed to laugh. People needed to be happy again. And people needed another podcast. What brute? These three media. Three men and a microphone podcast. <laughs> and there you go. Annals of time. They will get... Over the what of time? <laughs> the what? The what of time? The annals of time? Take a letter. Move it around. <laughs> Swap the word. Welcome to Two Men and a Duck. <laughs> Saving the world one listener at a time. Three Men and a Microphone, out every Monday on all podcast platforms. The bi-monthly podcast that answers the questions you've always had, but forgot to ask. Prepare your earballs. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Get This Shit. We have, thank you for the singing. Absolutely. Um, we have with me here today is the beautiful Cassie Ann. Oh, thank you. Hello, hello, hello. Amazing, amazing partner. Partner in life? Sure. We'll go yeah, no, I love this. Okay. Homosexual well, partner in life. Obviously. Love it. <laughs> you have tuned in for part two. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Welcome. Howdy do. How's everything going? Uh, great. So this is a surprise part two. Yes. Uh, our first one, honestly. So yeah, our first here. two-parter. So this is us on the fly making shit happen yeah. here at GTS. Yeah, man. That's what we do, man. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy your earballs. You know, it's funny that you uh, mentioned giant snakes. Oh yeah, a couple of giant snakes. Here, we oh, have yeah. this conversation. Hold on, it's about you. to get dark in the room. All right. Oh <laughs> my god. <laughs> no, because uh, like mine also kind of involves a giant snake a little bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I was gonna do like kind of like superstitions around the world and more like ancient history and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I landed on was the Oracle of Delphi. I've heard this n- name before. Tell this me more. Yes. All right. Mm. So Delphi is a city from ancient Greece that's about a little over six miles inland from the Gulf of Corinth. Um, They're famous for their leather. <laughs> yes, Corinth. Yes. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> so proud of you. Delphi's original name from the indigenous people is uh, Pitho. Oh. Yeah. 
in Greek mythology, Zeus sent out two eagles, one to the east and one to the west, to find the center or the navel of the world. Damn. The belly button. The Gross. belly button <laughs> of I fucking the world. Hate it. I'm good, thank you. I uh, hate belly I don't <laughs> feel like we need to find that. Sam gets yelled at anytime he's ever close to my belly button. I fucking hate it. <laughs> it's gross. It's, first of all, it's not. You say that like it happens all the time. That is not. I mean, no, I mean, it's just not a common occurrence. End up by the belly button. We found yeah. out. Just, you know, when it's Do near. a quick drive by. You know. So much oh my information God, yeah. about their marriage now. Right. Thank you. You know, keep it spicy. So, <laughs> just so, not that spicy. Yeah. So the eagles met at the site that would be Delphi. Zeus marked the spot with a sacred stone called the Umphalos, which essentially translates to navel. Um, That stone was held at the temple of Apollo, where the oracle of Delphi practiced, essentially. So the Pythia... It oh, mm-hmm. was the name given to the high priestess at the temple, and she would serve as the oracle. The Pythia a was established as early as 1400 BC, according to the records, but definitely no later than like 900 BC. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> a span of 500 years, but I mean, that's just. When the latest confirmable you know. was in around 900 BC. Dude, I can't remember what happened in like 2012. So, <laughs> so before the uh, Greeks came in, the Pythia served Gaia or Mother Earth. Mm, sure. And uh, as they should. Yeah, uh, obviously. <laughs> where they practiced was guarded by Gaia's serpent child, Python. Ah, that was another one that I read about. <laughs> Uh, and then Apollo came and killed Python and Rude. had Rude. his temple built there. The order of the priestess operated until almost 400 A.D., like in the late 390s A.D. Hey. So over a thousand hey. years, <laughs> closer to like 1,200, and that's on the conservative Jesus. estimates. Yeah, that's on the conservative estimates saying like, 900 BC, not even 1400. It's still operating in like 1200 years. So that would be like a priesthood from the times of like Charlemagne and the Vikings or the Byzantine Empire still operating today. Mm -hmm. So the Oracle predicted huge events over the course of history and was consulted by people all over Greece and all over the world as well commoners but like world leaders would seek out the oracle's uh, predictions it was one of the most documented religious institutions and referenced by a shitload of greek authors in the classical era like euripides aristotle plato herodotus diogenes plutarch sophocles xenophon and like a bunch of other ones yeah all of them (laughs) yeah yes and And them too. Yeah. So (laughs) even with all this information, like the classical Greek era, the actual practices of how the Oracle operated, those details didn't start coming in until like first century BC to like fourth century AD. The most common story is that the Oracle would sit in a 
in on like someone's a, face <laughs> <laughs> in like a bowl, like a big cauldron that sat on three golden legs. All right, so okay. far I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm down. And then sounds like a bath. Allegedly, there would be yes. like a crack or a chasm that opened up in the bottom oh. of the temple. And I don't know about that. Smoke would come out from the bottom, and the oracle would inhale that, and then oh. go. Oh yeah. well, maybe I am it's about an that. Elevated bath, then. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It is okay. elevated. Yeah, a <laughs> mystical elevated bath. Uh, so, how I take all of my baths. Thank you. Uh, yeah, sure. only. So yeah, they now believe like if it was anything, they believe that it was a lot of hydrocarbons like H2S or oh yeah, they were high as fuck carbon monoxide. So I mean. Uh, <laughs> Like always sunny, the <laughs> health inspector. I'm feeling a little dizzy. <laughs> yes, I mean, you get symptoms of like hypoxia and things like that that put them in that state. The main common story is that the oracle would inhale the stuff, go into this uh, tran- up. trans-like state, and then... <laughs> She's high as fuck tripping balls. <laughs> yeah, and would Throwing mutter... Throwing prophecies. Yeah, would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. would mutter incoherent nonsense, and then... Yeah. And then the other... Pr- frogs are n- the new enemy. Yeah, and then... Yeah. <laughs> Kill frogs. Yeah, we've all done shrooms. We Find red frog... Kill from right, and then the male priest would then interpret what she said. Oh, oh yeah. because we can't, <laughs> because. we can't possibly just trust it from the source. It's got to right. be mansplained. <laughs> Fuck. So now, like that story, like main theme story, has been contested by a few different academics, mainly because even though there were no details from the classical Greek era from people like Herodotus. Um, because everyone just like, it was common knowledge of how the Oracle worked. Cause like I said, common people would uh, visit the temple and, uh, amongst other high profile things. So were there multiple oracles or was there one Oracle and it was like passed down? Did they live long? Were like, they so, virgins? Right. So I act- feel like they probably didn't live long. There's carbon monoxide involved. <laughs> like, so, you're not going to yeah, have a long lifespan. Killing some brain cells. So they did say that it did take a toll on them uh, because weird. they were essentially channeling Apollo is what it was believed. Gotcha. Um, right. And Apollo would give them these enlightenments or uh, sure. prophecies. Back to what you asked about virgins and what have you. Yes. Most of them were virgins, especially in later when they came into actually documenting the practices and how it worked. But the thing is, is when Herodotus and Euripides and all the classical Greek people would reference the oracle actually would speak these things, but would also give her own interpretations as well. And so she don't need no man. Right. And she would also deliver them in like almost a poem form oh, where so she gets artsy. fucking uh, oh my god what's that one thing slam poetry <laughs> yeah like oh def- my god. yeah like def, def- yes yeah so def but jam? What was sure it yeah i think def jam is comedy right yeah or, no but they comedy. did they also have poetry i don't know I, anyway i can't remember anyway sorry <laughs> yeah or Neither here nor there. Yes. So we got this oracle spitting lyrics. Yeah. And okay. <laughs> line after line, legends right and right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So back in like the classical Greek eras, I believe that there was three oracles, and one would be like on 
for on shift yeah on shift for like a month or something like that and then they would switch off i think they only worked like nine months out of the year Mm. that sounds great yeah they had a good benefits package i mean with the exception of the so once they once women became into the priesthood they stopped all like they were no longer allowed to communicate with their families they were allowed to get married Lord. beforehand but then once they got into the priesthood they were, had to already had to cut ties uh, oh. but they were also educated in politics and current events going on in the world literature wow so these were definitely educated women uh, especially during the classical greek era like, it kind of makes sense when you hear about the prophecies that the Oracle made. It's more of, mm, if you had a good, you know, finger on the pulse of what's going on, you didn't necessarily have to have divine enlightenment. To, uh, I got to, right. She was a hustler. Now. Uh, Maybe a diva. <laughs> yes, which is the female version of a hustler. Of a, of a hustler. Um, <laughs> so. Like me personally, from what I gathered, I'm guessing there was a shift in practice or a change in management or something because <laughs> because I think it probably around when those details started coming in, I think the system had changed to where they started picking virgins and making it gross. Yeah, making it gross. Right. Uh, I mean, they clearly, were still... if you've been touched by a man, you cannot receive enlightenment. Uh, yeah. Right. But I mean, hey, it kept them untouched. So I mean, if there's any fringe benefit to that no syphilis yeah you know what you're not you'd be kind of immunity in that that right exactly and a lot of them were i mean they were dressed modestly in order to like keep people from like objectifying them yeah oh Um, hell no i'm gonna be skanky as fuck as an oracle (laughs) yeah i mean once the face hits the pavement i'm just (laughs) oh my god yes So some of the famous prophecies uh, include, I'll say one of the earliest ones to the end, just because I want to go a little bit more detail into it because it's Mm -hmm. a fun story. Uh, But the Oracle prophesied about the outcome of the Greek and Persian War. The Oracle said that there is no wiser man than Socrates, to which Socrates replied, if I'm wiser than anyone's because I'm able to recognize my own ignorance. Oh, all right. Typical Socrates answer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, yeah. Predicted Sparta winning the Peloponnesian War. Oh, Uh, that great war. Yeah. Between, like, Sparta and Athens. Gotcha. Yeah. Gave prophecies to Alexander the Great. Um, Mm -hmm. Also gave prophecies to his dad, Philip of Macedonia, or Macedonia, if you're Dan Carlin. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, told Philip, uh, Alexander the Great's dad, that he would conquer the world on the tip of silver spears. So Philip, yeah, just the tip. So Philip then began like getting control of a bunch of silver mines. Oh, yeah. So took it in the direction that was probably meant to be taken, but not like the most obvious. Yeah, also gave prophecies to the Roman Hadrian, who visited the Oracle and had his destiny to become emperor proclaimed. But one of my favorite stories is Croesus of Lydia. Croesus of Lydia. 
yes. Croesus was the king of Lydia during, uh, like, at the beginning of the Persian Empire. So the first, like, Persian great emperor uh, who was the first one to be called the king of kings. Yeah, Jesus didn't patent that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, was Cyrus the Great. <laughs> you all right? Yes. Take so, that, white Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, buddy Christ. So yeah, uh, Croesus... Croesus decide Croesus or Croesus. I'll probably switch back and forth whether I'm thinking about it or not. Okay. So Croesus wanted to figure out if he should attack the Persians or not, and so he wanted to consult like oracles and soothsayers and all this. So what he did is he wanted to you know establish, make sure that he wasn't giving money to some prince in Nigeria. And mm-hmm. so what he did is he sent out a bunch of his heralds and messengers and he told them to travel and don't talk to this oracle or prophet or whoever until it's 100 days after you left. Okay. And on that 100th day, then speak to the prophet or oracle. And he told them to ask the prophet, what is the king of Lydia doing right now on this day? Oh. Because what Croesus had planned is on that hundredth day he was going to make a stew with tortoise and lamb in a brass cauldron it's delicious yeah but i am who's a, gonna a guess that soup. shit <laughs> okay i feel you i feel you exactly so what is this chopped right These are yeah. very odd ingredients <laughs> you got 15 seconds to make a vinaigrette <laughs> <laughs> yes so the Oracle of Delphi correctly predicted that he was... Shut the fuck up. I Turtle well, boss soup. To be fair, it, that it's one of those where on the flip side, if you consider the fact that the Oracle was already a well-established thing, it was made up of a priesthood of women who were educated, probably also had a good information gathering network, and they had a hundred day period to gather... Intel. Intel and say, hey, there's a messenger from the King of Lydia coming. Maybe we should find out. Listen to these douchebags. Yeah. Yeah. So. All they'd have to do is smile pretty at one. And he's like, the king's going to make a soup. (laughs) Like, it just, it's not hard to get get information. It's more of a chowder. So, yes, the oracle proved their worth, essentially. And so the uh, Croesus asked the oracle whether or not he should go to war with the Persians. And the oracle said, if you go to war with the Persians, you will bring an end to a great empire. And so he was like, hell yeah, I'm going to take out the Persian empire. <laughs> oh, honey. Perfect. Right. Of course, that's all he hears. Not an optimist. Potential. Ancient yes, optimist. Always the optimist. <laughs> optimist. <laughs> that yeah. guy from Ancient <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> and then he asks about, well, what about the Medes? Because the Medes and the Persians would f- fight, but sometimes they would join forces depending on who was, you know, would wrangle them together sometimes. So then the Oracle told him that... <laughs> You will not fall to the Medes. Hi, Sadie. <laughs> you will not fall to the Medes unless there is a uh, mule as king of the Medes. Okay. And, he, and 
And he's and like, you, you won't fall unless. Unless there is okay. a mule that is the king of the meats. And he was like, I don't see any fucking donkeys, so let's <laughs> do this shit. <laughs> I don't see no jackasses. Let's go. Uh, I see right. a lot of jackasses. <laughs> so Croesus then gathers an army that is not quite as big as Cyrus is, but they have better weapons, more technology oh, at the time. Right. So, But, I mean, the, the Persians... Definitely held their own, and uh, Croesus didn't take him out. And then he was like, "All right, well, this was fun, but uh, it's getting close to winter." And I don't, I don't, you know, like <laughs> war yes. was definitely a very seasonal thing back then. So they go back to <laughs> the capital and uh, did not expect Cyrus to follow them. Oh <laughs> shit! Oops. I mean, they weren't hot on his tail. But they were. <laughs> Nobody looked behind him. Like you're right. No, they didn't follow that close. They were. You know, they knew. They knew the assignment. Uh, I can't see. Yes. <laughs> so then, Croesus gets back to the capital and has a dream. That, oh. Yes. That uh, there are a bunch of snakes in the uh, city streets. And then horses come up over the wall and devour the snakes. Horses eat the snakes. I don't think that that happens. Yeah. So, you know. I don't think that happens in the natural. Well, it fucking happens. All right. All right. (laughs) So he was like, huh, I wonder what that means. Well, it turns out he gets to find out. Uh, So. (laughs) Gotta learn today. Yeah, Cyrus gathers together an army to attack the capital, which Croesus had like dispersed his army. He was like, "This is the off season. You guys go back home, oh, go shit. get laid." So, so he, he has had, JV, right? Yeah, I mean, he has a fucking skeleton. Yeah, he has like a skeleton crew compared oh, to yeah. the army he had when he was trying to attack. These Persia. are all the ones that are like. Back then, probably like eight years old. <laughs> oh my god! These are the discount soldiers. Here. Discount yeah. soldiers. Yes. yes. I mean, yeah, these are the you know garrison man to like defend the city. Maybe a few extra soldiers, but it was like the amount of force to defeat a city. And Cyrus had enough to like have a decent attack on Lydia as a whole. But they had good walls and they had good gates. So same. Uh, and Persia was, didn't have like the technology for siege weapons at the time, so okay. it, it was going to be difficult for them to break in. So Croesus sends out the people that he does have on horses, and their cavalry was like way better than what Persia had at the time. But Sweet. Cyrus's right hand man was a smart dude who noticed that uh, Persia, which I'm. Not sure if I mentioned this before. Uh, the kingdom of Lydia is modern day Turkey now. And okay. so Persia is modern day Iran. Okay. Iran has a lot of camels. Yes. Yeah. And turns out uh, that they found out that a lot of horses are scared of a lot of camels. Really? really? Yeah. And it, I mean, it wasn't common practice for like the Persians to ride camels into battle, but they were definitely like beasts of burden and like transporting supplies and caravans still, you know, have sure, done sure, in sure. recent history. You know, like they were doing that back then, too. So what they did is they put them on the front lines and had them lead, like put them oh into my God, battle. Camel tanks. Yeah. Scared the 
shit out of the horses, made them break ranks, turn, and who knew? Yeah. Well, I now think I want to see this bigger than horses. Oh, too. yes, they like, are. Yeah. I guess I don't really think about that, but they are significantly yeah, larger. They're big mm-hmm. motherfuckers, and they spit. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, rude. they're. Mm, not an animal that I'm interested in meeting. <laughs> yep. So keep that in mind. the capital had one wall that was super tall and all the other walls were super tested on their defenses and everything. But they were like, this one's so fucking tall. Like, who gives a shit? Sure. Well, they had staked out around the city and noticed that one of the guards on this tall section of wall, dropped his helmet off the side on accident, like it fell down. The rocks were jacked enough, or like jutting out enough. This dude climbs down the wall, grabs his helmet, climbs back up. No. Oh. Yeah, and so the persons, one of the person, I think it was the same general with the camels, Damn. saw this happen and was like, "Hey guys, <laughs> guess what?" I have an idea. Someone so, yeah. Is free rock mm-hmm. So, a couple of them scale the wall, essentially open up the gate for everybody else, and oh, come fuck. on in, guys. Capture the city. Wow. Yeah. Uh, capture Croesus and a bunch, and like Sweet. 14 other like nephews and like family relatives. And All they, the inbreds, mm-hmm. yes. And they bring them. <gasps> They bring him to the square because Croesus is like a, one of his other sons had died and his other son was like a oh. deaf mute or something like that. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> Inbreeding. Oh, yeah, because he prayed super hard for this other kid to be able to speak. Oh. And uh, turns out he got his wish. And it was when a Persian soldier was uh, taking the city, his son said, no, don't kill this man. This is Croesus, the king of Lydia. Oh, <laughs> and he was no. like, shit, 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 shit. That's not what you're supposed to say, dude. Yeah. So Croesus is then rounded up with other subsequent like higher ups mm-hmm. and they were going to be burned. Cool. When Croesus had first gotten the prediction from the oracle, he had offered a shit ton of gold and like gave it as a tribute to Apollo at the temple. And so uh, fire's going and (laughs) and he's calling out to Apollo for any favor. I'm sure he was calling out to a bunch of other gods at the same time. Anyone who will listen. We're going to start with the one I gave a shit ton of money to. (laughs) Yeah. So then Apollo showed favor and it started raining. And Croesus had also told Cyrus that his men shouldn't loot the city. And he was like, "Uh, why not? And Croesus is like, because this is your city now. When your men loot this city, they're not stealing from me anymore. They're stealing from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's reverse psychology there. And uh, when he when he said that to Cyrus about looting, Cyrus asked the men to like start to put out the fire because he realized, holy shit, this guy knows something because Cyrus is very good. Kind of like Genghis Khan was very good at mm. bringing in people, even though they were his enemies. I if gotcha. he could find them to be useful, he was going to use that shit. So he asked the dudes to put out the fire, but it was already going on too strong. But then Apollo made it rain, essentially, and put out the fire. And 
Croesus then became an advisor to Cyrus the Great. And when he did, he then went back to the Oracle of Delphi and was like, so are we... Money back, please. Are we in the business of misleading people who (laughs) give you a shitload of money to Apollo? Like, what's going on here? And the Oracle was not lost for an answer. Oracle told him, when I said a great empire will fall, it just happened to be yours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, were you so Mm -hmm. egotistical? You never think it could be yours. Yeah, Yeah, never guaranteed that it wasn't going to be yours. (laughs) Exactly. I didn't promise you shit, Reading into the prophecy what you want to read into. For sure. And then he asked about falling to the Medes, about having a mule as a king and... The oracle was also not stumped with that one because the oracle said, what is a mule but a mixture of a horse and a donkey? Cyrus, One of Cyrus's parents is a Persian and one of his parents is a Mede. So therefore he was a mixed breed by and, uh, and a mule by those I standards if you. You, or if you understood how to interpret it properly. Wow. So more of the stories our friend Croesus needed to do some more research. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, a bit of, more reflecting. Yeah. Yes. Wow. All right. I That's love fucking it. nuts. Yeah. And like some of the ways to extrapolate it, like when the Persians were invading the Greeks, like under Xerxes and the Battle of Thermopylae and whatnot, both Athens and uh, Sparta consulted the Oracle of Delphi. The Oracle told Sparta, you will either lose your kingdom or you will lose your king. Oh, damn. Right. Told Athens that they were, they would fall. And then they got a second opinion from the same oracle. And the second time, the oracle gave them like a, you know, like a way out. They said there was going to be a thin wall of wood that would, that could be your salvation, essentially. So hmm. uh, the Spartans, when they battled the Persians in Thermopylae, Leonidas was killed. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, and also said that the wind will be your ally or something like that. I forget the exact verbiage. But uh, when the Persians faced the Athenians after, it was a big naval battle, and the Athenians held their own, and the Athenians knew, like, their waters better and, like, their atmospheric conditions, like how quickly storms could pop up, what the signs were, and one popped up. The Athenians knew where to hide and where to moor their ships and whatnot. And so there was a huge storm that took out the Persian fleet. So one, the winds were their friend. And two, a thin wall of wood, a.k.a. the Athenian ships, was their salvation. Wow. Boom. Mm -hmm. Boom. (laughs) So, yeah. But, I mean, like, for over a thousand years, if not... Much, much longer. The Oracle definitely had some insights into how things were going to play out through the world. Super interesting stuff. So I think we should bring those back, by the way. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So was there a... uh, What was the selection process for the Oracle? Yeah, it was a line of succession of... Oh, okay. Family heritage kind uh, of thing. Yeah, usually it was... uh, they're not 100% certain. Sure, sure. That's um, And it may have changed throughout the period of its yeah, operation. Yeah. 
I believe during the classical era, it's mostly believed that once a oracle was nearing the end of their time, like a group of the priestesses would choose who was going to be the replacement. Gotcha. And I'm guessing probably there was probably some nepotism because there were some like it was a position of power for a female of the time. For sure. So I'm sure there was like nepotism and, you know, rich family connections that could have had something to do with it. But also, but I mean, those richer families were going to be the more educated, the ones who were. If your grandma was, maybe there was a potential that you would eventually be. Yeah, yeah. Probably maybe trained over time. Right, yeah. Or groomed. groomed. Yeah, exactly. Yes. For sure, for sure. So even even if there was nepotism, it kind of lent itself to conditions where that was going to still have a decently beneficial result. Sure. uh, For who was chosen, but. Right on. And then if it did become to the practice of having male interpreters, it didn't really matter who the oracle was because they were just getting high and mumbling and nonsensical shit anyway. And the dude was just saying whatever he wanted. Exactly. Yeah, oh, we're not yeah. we're not bringing that back, but, but we are going to bring the oracle. <laughs> yeah, the oracle's fine. Yeah, yeah, no giant gorgeous bathtubs. Yeah, yeah, cauldron bathtubs. Yeah. Please, human suit me. <laughs> uh, I uh, can't remember if you said it earlier or not, um, because I remember uh, off mic when we were talking about this. Uh, you said something about at the navel of the world, uh, they had to defeat something. Is that correct? Um, because somehow snakes intertwined for you and I. Yeah. So Apollo defeated Python. That's what it was. Thank you for reminding me mm-hmm. because I literally was like, I know it's the one that I didn't write down and now I can't remember. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And Python was the guardian of that site for Gaia, uh, the Thank mother you. earth spirit yes. or God before Apollo took it over. Bless. Correct. Bless you. Yeah. And some people believe it's like the origin of like Kundalini lines and. Uh, and ley lines across the earth. Ooh, we could get into and, that. Yeah. But we'd be here all night. Exactly. I was next that's... time. <laughs> yes. Next, next time. time. Absolutely. Uh, refer to last podcast on the left. Absolutely. <laughs> For all of your ley line needs. But there may be some in the future. Like legit. We could get Yeah, it. yeah. For yeah. sure. Do some homework on it. Oh my god! Uh, thank you so much. Good that job. was fucking amazing. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, I really enjoy getting to know the more ancient types of history and things like that because I've become much more familiar with like recent history mm-hmm. in the U.S. But I really enjoy when, especially you, tell me about different things. Yeah. Pretty much anything that is the main storyline is from Herodotus is a good story. Like the succession of Darius after Cyrus the Great is a good one as well. Um, All I think of is Darius Rucker. (laughs) (laughs) Hootie! But yeah, I mean, his uh, historical lectures were like performance pieces like it was theater back in the day oh, had philosophers shit. and historians so herodotus's historical well, yeah, record tv exactly so yeah the education dude there be entertaining mm-hmm. yeah that was a skill that you you know like you honed you know oh, being able sure. to you know memorize and then articulate 
and what's, performance. What's happened and yeah, in performance. Yeah. 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 And Herodotus was like the Michael Bay of like the ancient historians. Yeah. He had so oh much God. Right, not the Michael Bay. Michael. But I mean they probably would have perceived it because he had so much color and detail and just intrigue. Texture. And so yeah, those textures that he adds like they almost play out like a movie if you read his retellings of ancient history. Yeah, so yeah. It's super fun. Yeah, that's why they call him uh, like the father of history because he's yeah, you know, kind of one of the the first people to really make a concerted effort to go sure all over you know the the known world to kind he of has see his hands all in yeah it. to see and uh, be able to explain what's happening with these other cultures. That's yeah, amazing because like cultural history back then was like passed down. Uh, orally, like in a, from like father to son, and or tribes leader to you know the tribal sure. people and whatnot. And that's how history was passed down. It wasn't until much later that it was actually started to be recorded in written history. And so Herodotus is an authoritative source on it because, well, he's the only source we got. <laughs> <laughs> sure, he yeah, is. The seems source. to be a really reliable one, at least. Yeah. <laughs> more accurate than not. Uh yeah, generally or more accurate than not. But accepted. if there was if there was like three versions to a story, he went with the most like entertaining or more more gripping one. Sure. Not necessarily the most accurate one, but I'm sure he didn't have the tools to put metrics on, you know, all the data that we have now sure. to figure out which is probably the most likely, you know. But, I mean, if you don't tell a gripping, engaging story, no one's going to remember it. For sure. And if people didn't write it down before, like, you need someone like Herodotus to retell it so someone's going to write it down and keep record of things that sure. people before didn't. So. Yeah, you have to be able to inspire that next generation yeah, exactly. to continue on. Yeah, a lot of talk of uh, inspiring and being, oh, fuck, there was something else that you said uh, part of his characteristics, characteristics that I think are very important to cult leaders. Being charismatic, being able to tell a good story, uh, spin Drop a good yarn. In. Right, I mean. Relatable, wanted to be listened to, and things sure. like that. Sure, and it can help you get in ladies' pants, too. I 110%. Mean, just like being a cult leader, <laughs> making all the ladies. Yeah. Did, Malcolm, does your cult leader display any of these type of... Uh, so so interesting. So Mithraism, that's what I'll be talking about today. Mithraism. Uh, it actually doesn't have a known cult leader. <gasps> interesting. It's, yeah, it's a very uh, abstract, abstract cult. That's cool. So yeah, uh, man. Right go ahead and get going on it. So get that shit. I'm going to get it. So first quick Latin lesson for you all. Ooh, love it. We're going to practice a word together. The Let's word is salve. 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 So this word means hello or be well. Oh, I love it. In Latin. There's your Latin lesson for the day. Wonderful. So, Latin uh, so, shalom. Right? So today I, w I wanted to talk about uh, you know, Mithraism because it's a uh, religion that's always kind of been on, uh, or cult that's been on my uh, my radar. It's kind of sparred with Christianity for mm. for prominence, in, especially in Rome during the uh, uh, the first century B.C., so we're talking about the times wow. of Julius Caesar, around mm -hmm. the time he comes to power. So approximately like 60 BC. I just learned, Samuel just learned me the other day, that Julius Caesar mm -hmm. came before Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. Yeah. That is no correct. idea. <laughs> Had yeah. no fucking clue. Yeah. Yeah, because year like because year zero is generally considered when Christ was born. Sure, sure. And then you know AD is the Anno Domini in the year of our mm-hmm, Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mithraism. It's something that there's just not a lot of writings about. Mm-hmm. So it's it really uh, kind of pulled me in, made me want to uh, dig in and learn more, as well as, you know, if fighting for prominence with Christianity, right as Christianity is at the inception of itself, yeah. you know, which I found really interesting. Now, a quick note before we continue is that, so the God that, or the, the deity mm-hmm. that is kind of revered here is Mithras. Okay. okay. Now, now Mithra is a deity from the Zoroastrian okay. religion, mm-hmm. which okay. is located in Persia, mm-hmm. you know, the Sounds Iran like area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of one of it's kind of a, a very old religion as well, even older than than this, obviously. Like star worshiping, kind of. Yeah, well, I can't talk on it too much. All right, or, or <laughs> we'll get we'll get we'll get too deep in the weeds here. Yeah. But I love for it. today, we're going to be talking about Mithras as it pertains to the Roman Empire. So the cult was really active, you know, around the time that Caesar came to power. That's when it begins. We're situated in Rome. It's kind of the epicenter. So it's kind of believed that someone may have brought this religion to Rome and then kind of mixed uh, like different deities, hmm. you know, Roman, Greek, mm, as well sure. as I gotcha. you know, from the from the A little smorgasbord, a little jambalaya, yeah, if yeah, you will. Yep, yep. So, so it came to Chatter. be known... Uh, you know, Mithraism, it's often uh, correlated with uh, the Mithraic mysteries. So Mithraism is a mystery religion. So what's that mean? Well, it, it means it's not an open ceremony religion. Everything is secret. Everything's done in secret. Ooh, okay. Um, it's not like it's Christianity, you know, where you just show up on Sunday, you're going into the church. No, this one you have to be inducted Ooh. into the religion in order to even learn for uh, more about it. And, Damn. you know, while you were joining this religion, the initiates would have to go through various different stages of growth to kind of continue to learn more. Sure. Initiates were almost entirely men. There weren't any women at this <laughs> oh, time. Oh, shit. Uh, okay. Well, to keep it a secret. There's some potential that maybe in some of the northern provinces, like in Gaul, you know, a.k.a. France, or Britannia, a.k.a. England, uh, that there may have been, you know, women participants there. Okay. Well, I mean, I feel like you have a higher level of female participants in, like, Gaul and Britannia general life anyway. So, I mean, that, uh, that I feel like, tracks and would be a little bit Mm explanation-wise. Yeah. So, so when the initiates originally joined, they would have to swear oaths of secrecy. Right. In order to join. Of course. Because, like I said, this is a mystery. You know, you have to really plunge yourself in there to... Cassie uh, and I would not ...to understand it. Right, yeah. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Plus, they didn't have, you know, non-disclosure agreements back then. (laughs) No NDAs, yeah. yeah. No NDAs. This is the version of NDA. probably lose, like, a tongue or something. (laughs) Yeah. So so what they ended up having back then was these things called catechisms, which are these questions that they would speak to you, and then you would have to answer very specifically. Uh, Okay. I, I couldn't find any examples. Uh, unfortunately, but it's essentially just you would come to come to the, uh, the location, mm-hmm. and then you would have to you know speak the answers, kind of like you're answering a riddle oh, of sorts. Shit. An oral uh, exam. Yeah, yeah. In order like to get the in. wind is blowing in the east. Yes, but it feels good on my fair skin. Like, <laughs> or like pre-programmed questions sure, sure. and response or statements and responses. Yeah, and this was you know done to ensure the secrecy and uh, you know kind of integrity of the rites and rituals. Sure. 
so the initiates had to memorize those questions. Now, once you actually got inducted, there were seven grades within Mithraism. Oh, of Each course. grade corresponded to one of the planets. So oh, oh, okay. one of the planets of the time. One. So Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, the moon, sun, and Saturn. Saturn's the one. Oh, the moon? Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep, the moon well, and the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, Sun's a planet, moon's a planet. Which they're all planets. Yeah. What are all the general <laughs> circles in the sky? Because yeah, they wouldn't have... I, I thought it was interesting that you could uh, that they would have been able to see Saturn at that time without sure. a telescope, given but. how far away it is. Uh, but there just must have been so little light pollution back yeah. then that those things must have really popped in the sky. Holy shit, can oh, you imagine yeah. how fucking dark... Yeah. But how no. cool the sky would have looked. Yeah, it would have been otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, especially if you were, you know, like in uh, like the Norse area and you saw like the Aurora Borealis oh, without shit. Any, yeah, uh, man. any light pollution. Yeah. Well, hell, you saw we do that, how yeah. much people freaked out in ancient times. I'm sorry, there are record- recordings of how much people freaked out in ancient times for anything from eclipses to comets to yeah. Right. Yeah. any pretty, pretty much any astrological event whatsoever. They're, oh my God! Yeah, we're all going to die. The sky's falling. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so Tune and Uranus are not on here because you can't see them without a telescope. Sure, sure. So back to the grades here. So there were seven grades, each based on one of the planets. Uh, Saturn was the last. It was the last grade. And that was kind of the the rank of Pater, P-A-T-E-R, which is father. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. And, you know, surprisingly, uh, this, uh, you know, church for example you have you know the pastor or Mm -hmm. the priest here multiple people could have the same like father master rank gotcha Uh, and even um you know some people who had high enough social economic status could quote unquote buy their ways uh you know into it yeah tom cruise it in there yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. exactly and and you know tom cruise becomes daddy there was so there was a there was a pagan emperor emperor julian Mm-hmm. who was uh, you know, big into paganism and kind of refuted Christianity, it became popular during that time, which was about 300 years after kind of its founding okay. of about 60 BC. So back to the grades. So in order to move up a grade, an initiate has to undertake a specific ordeal or a test. Oh, perfect. So sometimes this could be anything from being exposed to extreme heat. It's like having to walk on coals, having to like put your hand in a fire, uh, extreme cold, you know, like be, no. you know, like something involving like ice or snow, especially if you got into the Northern sure. uh, provinces. It's a little chilly out there. Oh yeah. A little cheery. And, uh, and the other vague ordeal was just threatened with imminent deathly peril. <laughs> so, Whoa, sure. Yeah. So we're going to be hot, cold, or you might die. So threatened. With yeah, it. or yeah, threatened to die. In some of these, uh, uh, some of the temples that they had, uh, there was actually this thing called an ordeal pit. And they actually had an a, ordeal pit. Yeah, a pit where you had to do your ordeals to, to move up uh, in, the, in the grades. The new name of our podcasting dungeon, the ordeal pit. The ordeal pit. <laughs> God fucking damn it. Yes. <laughs> By the late 200s, though, so this is uh, the end of the third century, mm-hmm. the late 200s AD, you know, these appear like the ordeals seem to have kind of, uh, you know, gone by the wayside. And it was primarily just related to worshiping. The Roman emperor, so we were talking about ordeal pits, the Roman emperor yeah. Commodus, mm-hmm. who, who uh, might ring a few bells if you've watched the film Gladiator. 
Oh, uh, yeah. He's, he's the, uh, the son of Marcus Aurelius. And Marcus Aurelius is kind of considered like the last like good emperor. Okay. And then once Commodus takes over, it's just a lot of uh, killing, uh, you know, extreme spending and just a lot of wasteful Forces indulgence Senate, that, that really, know. yeah, that really, that really breaks the empire. And he's, uh, Commodus is described as having amused himself for fun by enacting the Mithraic initiation ordeals in a homicidal form. So he would, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, so it okay. seems like he would like have people uh, like try to kill him or he would try to kill people. So, Oh shit. Cool. Shits and giggles. Yeah. Which, which I, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't, uh, you wouldn't think that like the emperors would get so mixed up in, in like religion and everything, but you know, they, Politics they definitely and do. Religion, no way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who knew? Weird. Yeah, I, I thought that Constantine had kind of cornered the market on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, he wasn't the first one. Uh, so, so where did these initiates meet at? You know, we've kind of got the setting. We know what they have to go through. A bunch of ordeals. I'm guessing a and creepy cave. <laughs> Wow, you are shockingly accurate. Yes. So, disciples of Mithras <laughs> convened in what was called a Mithraeum. Ooh. A Mithraeum is a temple that's located underground in a windowless room. Always. In the wild, natural caves would Ooh. have been utilized. I love that. As a temple, whereas in cities it would have been like basements and, you know, underground. Sure. Dugout stuff. Uh, yeah, but they would have been dug out. Even as membership continued to grow in these areas, you wouldn't uh, see them open a big mithraeums so these were very small intimate affairs okay. you know like 30 to 40 ish people max well sure so so there so there's definitely times uh i think they undercovered like several hundred within rome room. for example yeah. and you know as you go north you know they just kind of like scatter out through uh you know gaul through uh britannia mm. and okay. uh you know rome is basically the epicenter of this cult gotcha. so they would meet at the mithraeum once again, they used the underground layers to maintain their secrecy away from kind of the or other organized religious affiliations. Down there, there would be sculptures and reliefs that they would make uh, within the Mithraeum. Uh, these were central to their worship. There's not a consistent Mithraic doctrine, like I mentioned. It's... Uh, you know, none of this is like written down like there is like with the Bible, mm -hmm. Torah, mm -hmm. Quran. Sure. Nothing's written down. Like this is, I mean, it's literally a mystery. Okay. So the only sources that we really have are Christian sources, which, oh. uh, you know, since they kind of sparred with one another, right. aren't necessarily very favorable. Flattering. Sure. And yeah. sure. they can be, they can be pretty angry. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, like demons wrath Judging. and such. Not all sunshine. No way. Rainbows over there. Although... One thing that maintained consistent throughout a lot of these was the reliefs and sculptures that were inside. So that kind of gives you kind of some insight into at least, you know, like what was the idea, you know, that they were doing. Without any firsthand sources, you know, you just have to kind of infer, okay, there's a lot of these here. In the future, we will be ancient history, and they will be thinking, wow, these people worship, you know, McDonald's. Oh, right. my God. Yeah. And the yeah. Jimmy John's. Can you imagine? I worship that. Starbucks. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, Starbucks, my God. Yeah. yeah, so many Starbucks. Lady Godiva. Yeah. Emoji hieroglyphics. Oh, my <laughs> God. Eggplant, eggplant, eggplant. They really peach. like eggplants. <laughs> so, so of the sculptures that were within the room, there were a few prominent ones. So the first one shows Mithras being born from a rock. Oh, all right. Just emerging so, from a rock. Okay, so I was like... It's a sculpture of him emerging from the rock. Uh, he's shown sometimes with a weapon and a torch, but the weapons and torches change, 
Okay. Depending on where you are within the Roman Empire. Sure. Mm. Uh, in addition to that, he's often surrounded by animals, but of course the animals also change. Uh, you know, some of this seems to be, uh, you know, based on just where the location was. Sure. And the idea of Mithras being born out of this rock, I think, has an, kind of an important component with uh, Christianity, where it's kind of this idea of miraculous birth, like mm. a human being birthed yeah. from a rock. And, you know, Jesus also being a miraculous birth. So that was kind of an interesting parallel of the time. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's a primary uh, a sculpture that you'll see there. Another one, which is a pretty big one, is called a pteroctony. Ooh, okay. And this uh, this is a killing of a bull. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah, so this, this, this relief shows Mithras, uh, you know, wrestling a bull. He grabs it by the head and then shows him stabbing it in the chest. Damn. So it's much more uh, like hunting and like trying Uh, to find uh. like, because the bull is going to represent purity and then nourishment as well. So Mm. it's not a a ritual killing like you would see within other religions of the Roman Empire. In addition to this, these sculptures could be turned on their axis. So some of them would be like almost three dimensional where they where people would turn them, you know, based on like, okay, we're going to move on to this right now. This this, we're going to worship, uh, you know, this specific uh, that's fucking this is our nuts. Sunday school class for today. Yeah, like, for today. <laughs> turn the pot. Uh, I just learned that different like Renaissance paintings and things like that, uh, they had UV back then, glow-in-the-dark paint. Mm. So a lot of different classic paintings look completely different under black light. They're, Interesting. They've just started discovering it. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, wow, that, is, that is crazy. Um, in these Mithraeums, I forgot to mention earlier, mm-hmm. they uh, they would paint. Some of them had the ceiling painted, like like the night sky, what the and they fuck? even have like stars and constellations of the zodiacs. They would be uh, oh, they would be God. put on the ceiling as well. So I thought that was really interesting. And then there's another relief of Mithras having a banquet with the god Sol S O L. So that's you know sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, the Romans would have called him Soul, and he's feasting with Mithras on this deceased bull. And again, you know, to resemble, uh, you know, these ideas of nourishment and salvation. <laughs> so when the worshippers got together, uh, you know, in the Mithraeum, the, the primary activity that's going to be done here is feasting. Oh, so I'm down. so Were one thing. So so like I said, there's no 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 written real records of this. So sure. we just have to go off of you know archaeological findings, and what they find consistently in almost all Mithraeums is food utensils and food remnants. Oh hmm. shit! Yeah. So, so these are just like big networking dinners to where. <laughs> yeah. So so it kind of oh ends up being. So it's not a. It seems to me to be a more uh, lowborn mm-hmm. affair where it's kind of oh. a a a cult for like the outcasts of society because there's but there's also a lot of roman soldiers who Hmm. are really drawn to this oh Um, okay it's not really mentioned exactly why but i think it's because you know maybe they're traveling a lot and they can be stuck in places for a long time right and i think that part of that just gets you know kind of naturally impressed upon the soldiers just from staying being garrisoned or in these even cities. if it's like almost like a Freemason thing where like if you're in some place that you don't like you're stationed, you know, quote unquote, like overseas, 
All of a sudden, you have, like, a community. Yeah, now you have, like, people that you can, you know, if you say the right catechism, you know, someone in that Mm -hmm. area might recognize you and you... Throw up the right gang signs. Exactly. And there is evidence of initiates moving from one Mithraeum to another Mm -hmm. because they would, uh, they had on the walls, they would write their names and their grades... So they could. So there, there just have been some, you know, some places that have the same name with like a different grade. So like they must have moved from one location to another, but still stuck with you know the same, the same religion. Mm -hmm. In the Mithraeum, they also did animal sacrifices. Although it doesn't seem like it was like they were live animal sacrifices uh, because the Mithraeums didn't have. They weren't large enough. Right. to slaughter an animal. So oh, okay. so it's it's kind of believed that they they would kind of get the uh like the the leftovers um sure. and you know bring those down and pot sacrifice luck. those. Have a pot luck. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, exactly. They would the geezers and what mm-hmm. have you. Yeah, so they would all recline on these benches throughout the room. Again, about 30 to 40 people are fitting in these rooms. Sounds great. And they're just going from section to section eating praying the altars would have had inscriptions on them uh, inscriptions that the initiates would have made themselves mm. oh. kind of uh as a way to you know like initialize like you know this is my offering to gotcha. you know soul or mithras I love it. so now we move on to kind of mithraism meeting christianity here Mithraism predates Christianity by, you know, like approximately like 50 to 60 years, give or take. Um, And and the reason that this is brought up is that there's a Greek philosopher named Plutarch who writes uh, about traveling with a group of pirates who perform strange secret rites. And he witnessed some of them making sacrifices to Mithras. So it's kind of believed that, you know, the idea of Mithras must have been brought to Rome, you know, somewhere Mm, in that time frame where it would have, uh, you know, spread out and, uh, you know, been more popularized. Now, you know, when Christianity kind of meets Mithraism, you know, it's not a kind meeting. Uh, Sure. Christians very much think that uh, the Mithraic initiates have bastardized their own rights so you know you think of the idea of eating communion Mm -hmm. oh yeah Yeah. and so the christians you know kind of viewed the mithraic initiates as you know worshiping false gods under the ground eating Mm -hmm. eating you know like their their flesh there's even a uh an inscription that says like i am eating you know the flesh of my blood and let it nourish you and that's written in a in a mithraeum and you know the mm-hmm. Christians, you know they they see those things, and that yes, know, that you know that, that that very much upsets them. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I could also see like the parallels of even the catechisms, because I mean, early Christians had that as well. The whole Jesus fish was that you see in like everyone and church stickers back of people's ichthus. cars. Yeah, mm-hmm. the ichthus is a symbol that you would draw uh, the first arc of the fish, and if someone else was a Christian at the time they would draw the other line uh, and if the full one has the greek ichthus written inside of it but that was essentially a form of a catechism to recognize other fem- fellow members of christianity was to draw the ichthus fish so yeah i could see how mm-hmm. like they 
found a lot of correlations yeah. with themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, almost like looking into a mirror yeah. and seeing your like evil twin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, who you think is the evil twin. Uh, yes. So the Mithraeums also had uh, baths. They had a bath in a lot of these. Uh, that so, sounds great. So that I'm is really also... They, they didn't have wet naps, so yeah. I mean... Get the fuck out of here. If you're going to have a barbecue no downstairs, oh you ain't got wet naps. I mean, yeah, let's... Eat a meal and take a bath together. And, uh, you know, the Christians saw this as bastardizing oh the baptism. <laughs> of course uh, they did. So sensitive. So, so you know, it, it was, all these things are just, you know, kind of things that push the Christian religion to further persecute mm-hmm. sure. the, you know, the Mithraic She's initiates. making fun of us. Uh, you know, just, just over the course of time, because of to the nature of the religions with, with Mithraism being so close, so closed off, mm-hmm. and, you know, Christianity being so much more open, inviting, even though, you know, Mithraism was inviting, but it was just, you know, a small, intimate setting. Yeah, it was like once you're in, it's inviting. It, it, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, it was it was getting in that was the hard part, you know, like took at least a modicum of effort to yeah. go through, memorize the catechisms, you know, memorize the rites and all that, you know, but just over time with Christianity having, you know, a much more open policy, they were just able to attract, you know, more followers over time, went over more local governments and slowly were able to kind of push them to the edge. Hmm. So much so that by the year 400... So by this point, you know, Mithraism's, Mithraism has been about alive for about three hundred and what, like forty years, yeah. three fifty. Um, it's it's essentially uh, over. There's going to be a few outlying areas, like in the Alps or mm-hmm. you know, north in England, for example, mm-hmm. uh, that are going to remain in use for maybe another hundred years. Uh, but even then, it just kind of slowly fizzles out. So, so not going strong. So the Emperor no. uh, Theodosius. He he is the emperor who fully converts or mixes rather the government and religion together and creates like the government religion and that's when Rome ceases to be government. tolerant of these other religions because up until this point uh you know when Rome's going out conquering places mm-hmm. and confederating these countries usually they would say you know you can keep your religious practices you know Ooh. because it was it was just easier for them how to kind. appease that mm-hmm. how kind of you thank you yeah. yeah just as long as you pay taxes you can pray to whatever god you feel yeah, yeah exactly yeah. as long as, long as you obeyed the law it was and pray to our god so yeah it's funny because theodosius also came up in mind like him being against paganism and all that mm-hmm. uh, greatly affected the oracle of delphi as well, yeah, that was yeah. essentially the end of the yeah. World. He had Shit. Theodosius had many anti-pagan decrees where you oh. know he would you know publicly denounce these other false religions. So you know wow. it was under his reign that you know religion is no longer a choice; it's oh. just a part of your identity. Mm-hmm. You oh. know, like it's being it's being forced upon you, and you know this led to many of the Mithraeums just slowly falling into disrepair, as you know sure. people just slowly you know flicked off, and uh, you know they got converted. Um, you know, like I said, there's a few that have been actually restored that you can actually go visit in England and France. That's um, fucking baller. Yeah, yeah, and I mean they're just like a little thing. You know, uh, there's one in France that's just the cave. It's all pretty simple, but uh, you know, once you get like down to the uh, the actual pit of it, you know, you can see like the tiles on the wall and uh, you know some of the remnants of the paint on the wall and the ceiling and you know the, the sculptures and reliefs as well. Very cool. Um, that, you know, so so just over time, you know, these just fall yes, into disrepair. Sure. 
and Mithraism just slowly declines. Some of the churches of today are actually located on top of Mithraism. Shut uh, the fuck up. And, and it's not, it's believed that this was really done as just like a big F you. I was going to say, is this the Christian to the religion? Bagging, like oh an halo like back in the day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's believed that they, they built the churches on top of it to like, Signify their Seal. domination of the other religion, or, you know. Wow. Or of the cult. Yeah. Sure. Um, I am now literally on top of you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. And stump. you know, maybe if there was something else that had hindered Christianity while it was rising to prominence, sure. maybe Mithraism could have uh, potentially grown, grown further and become more prominent. But to me, I just think that it was just too closed off. I mean. Yeah, I, I think that it would have been inevitable that some other religion would have overtaken them sure. because sure. Yeah. it was just, uh, you know, just so many hoops to go through mm. to join the religious organization. And let's be honest, so. people are lazy. Yep, even back then they had better things to do. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think it's funny because nowadays you have everyone who believes in all this conspiracy theory of the Freemasons being related to the Knights Templar and Illuminati, but like mm-hmm. I know a couple people who have joined Masonic lodges and whatnot, and most of them they're like, it's just a bunch of dudes who hang out, we eat, we get to know each other, we make connections. Like, yeah, there's stuff that we do that's related to the history of our organization or whatnot, but it's not what you like. It's just a, it's just a thing. It's not what what it used to be. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure. Like it. I mean, even back. back They're all just sitting around planning to steal the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Fuck. Obviously. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, to me in my head, when you're telling the history of it, I'm sure there are some who are super into it, Dan Brown style. But I'm (laughs) fucking Dan. But I'm sure there are plenty of them that are like Masonic Lodges now, where it's just another version of the Elps Club. I was or the just going to say the or some Lodge, shit. You know what I mean? Like, my, uh, just people walking around eating, VW. talking. Yeah, they yeah. pretended some secret organization, but it's like oh, one really? step yeah. away from like and an like, American I still Legion have, like, this or VFW. Masonic yeah. pen of his. Wow. And so, like, I'm really sad he died, like, really early on before I could get my little, you know inquisitive brain your little murderino brain my little murderino brain to ask him a whole lot of questions oh shit yeah we'll have to you'll need to take a picture of it we'll post it oh yeah i'll take a picture of it it's baller so for mithraism that's pretty much it you know by the end of the fifth century so the end of the 400s it's uh basically just going to become a forgotten religion (laughs) uh it it's really for several hundred years that it just kind of goes there's go into disrepair and get ignored. Um, wow. You know, which is really interesting because there's some cults from other countries or other areas of the world that mm-hmm. are still talked about a thousand years afterwards. Sure. And sure. Mithraism much just old, kind of, yeah, just much kind of vanishes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, wow. which is interesting. You know, it's what, it's what makes it such a mystery because, you know, no written scripture, like all we hear are, you know, bad things from the people at the time who could, uh, you know, record what was going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. So between Rome the Roman Empire switching to Christianity as the government religion, and then you know the barbarian invasions that are slowly happening over the course of this time, mm. it just signals kind of the death knell for Mithraism. You know, one of, one of the interesting things I found is that Mithras and Jesus shared the same birthday of December twenty fifth. Shut the so there's another parallel. Uh, mm. yep. In a way, and, in a way, and totally. just and this was just well, just for my own like kind of kind of history nerdiness. Is I was when I was originally looking this up, I was thinking about a historical character by the name of Mithridates, Mithridates. 
uh, he's important because he is king of the Pontus people in Asia Minor, mm. kind of northern Turkey where, where yeah. Sam was talking mm-hmm. about a few minutes ago. And I kind of got him confused with Mithras. So gotcha. I was I was thinking like maybe there was something similar because mm-hmm. the you know the beginning of their names are the same but no they are completely different <laughs> <laughs> completely different not related now, two different stories now, now where does Mithril fall <laughs> Myth oh. Mithril oh my God. that's that's gonna yes. be for next episode okay that's part two that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Hilarious. we're gonna dig too greedy and too deep release and a Balrog cool. I love yeah, it oh my Balrog. God. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. That is amazing. The mystery cult. I love it. Yeah. Amazing job. Thank you so much. For real. Thank you. Absolutely. Good job. Yeah, man. thank you. I love it. Good job, Sammy. Thank you. Hell yeah. You guys have been fabulous guests. Thank Absolutely. you so much. I think you're ready for get that shit. Yes, ma'am, Pam. Awesome. So I have a fun little one that I randomly stumbled across. And, of course, it has to do with cats. So, you know. Sure. Um, The Etsy store is called Macrame Beautiful. They sell macrame hanging cat beds. They're so fucking cute. And I want 17 of them around my house in various different like heights and they uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. to the other they're very they're, boho they're very boho one of them like comes with a little ring and the other yes it passed the has, picture around yes, so the boys the can see it around so the boys can see it yeah. they are not cheap in any way shape or form well yeah, they're like handmade i mean bucks. these are it's like a little hammock luxury items yes. for a cat so i mean yes. so you're gonna splurge yeah gonna yeah man money oh my them. god i need to learn how to macrame you absolutely do. You can make 60 Yeah, because we don't money. trust you with knitting needles. So. Yeah, no sharp objects on the unit. Truth. <laughs> uh, there's also another one that we found as well. Oh, I'm so sorry there was. You're totally this fine. This one is called, what shop is this one called? Mountaintop Macrame. These are a little bit more, I think, um, detailed and decorative. They're also yes, adorable. Yes, yes. They're about $65. Um, and both of these stores actually have a 5.0 or a 4.9 star rating. So hmm. fabulous. Only the best for your kitties. Only the best. And they are on Etsy. They are. So We're back on the Etsy. Make your way over to Macrame Beautiful and or Mountaintop Macrame. Yes. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yes. Samuel. Christmas is around the corner. For the kittens. For all the kittens. I just want to use it. Look, I here, want I was, one. Oh, yeah. my God. A cat one and then one for me. <laughs> a matching. Look, if you spend more than a dollar fifty on anything for either of our cats, they want nothing to do with it. Oh, right? well, you're not wrong. One of their favorite places to hang out is a ramen box. All right. Oh, my and God. We yeah, you can't do anything to, even to yeah. decorate it, like put wrapping paper on the yeah. outside or anything because then they will lose interest. Oh, yeah. You spend $3 on a cat toy. No, they want nothing to do with it. You put a paper clip on a spring on a string. They're all over that shit. That's true. Truth. <laughs> it's true. Very it's true. So I'm not wasting macrame money on these cats. Fine. They will I never will learn how it. to do it. All right. That's what I need. You need to learn how to do it. Yes, I got this, guys. That's Christmas fine. is I'll just around the yarn. corner. I'll get. I'll make one for Hemingway. Oh yeah, he definitely needs one. He's yeah. basically a cat. So. I mean, yes. he's yeah, he is a noodle. All right, my dudes. So I think that's uh, that's it. Tits. 
You can find us on many different listening platforms. Uh, our overlords at Podbean. Hail Podbean. Hail Podbean. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And you can find more of these platforms on our Instagram bio at GTS underscore podcast. While you're there, make sure you click those magical buttons, like, follow, subscribe, so we can continue to grow all of our wonderful shit. Check out our link tree that is on our Instagram bio. Uh, You can find our website, episode resources, and all your listening platforms. You can also give us a shout at GTS with Kaylee and Cassie at gmail.com. If you have a small business or you want to hype a topic or you want us to do homework or we'll even pass homework along to these two. Yeah, for sure. Now we have part-time researchers, I guess. (laughs) Well, wonderful. I think that wraps it up for today. I think you're right. All right. Well, thanks, Sam. Thank you, boys. Thanks, Thanks, Mal. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to having you guys back around. Yeah. Awesome. Well, love and light. Love and light. Bye. Bye.